Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions in film and television, pri- uh, primarily through the Netflix drama The Crown. My name is Sam Chung, and today is a very big day because today we'll be talking about The Crown Season 3, Episode 5, entitled Coup, which means that we are officially halfway through Season 3. Uh, Dickie is back, Porchy is back, uh, Government Ineptitude is back, and it all came together for a really fun time. As always, joining me to break down this episode are my two co-hosts. First, don't be shocked to hear people spontaneously break into Auld Lang's sign for this man. It's Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, does that ever get old? Uh, being serenaded by that tune? Yes. Uh, I'll let you know when it happens. <laughs> Please do. Uh, also back with us today, you may be able to find this woman betting hard at the horse track. It's Carlin Greenwald. Carlin, what is the strategy when betting on a horse? So my first strategy is always to pick the prettiest horse. I think vanity matters a lot with um, horse <laughs> skills. And then beyond that, you have to find out which horse has like the most tragic backstory and like who is going through a Seabiscuit movie like as we speak. Because that horse, I think it has like the perseverance to go forward and like really make it in the horse races. So that's that's my strategy. Um, you, I assume wow. they make pamphlets. When you say Please. when you, you say this pretty, yeah, when you say prettiest horse, what does that what does that mean? Like, do, do all horses not just look the same like a horse? Like, what is a prettier I mean, horse I mean, versus a, an ugly horse? Well, see, this is all. Um, let's see. It is obviously <laughs> beauty is in the eye of the, of the wild. <laughs> yeah, wait, yeah, for sure. You have to pick the prettiest horse in Breath of the Wild. Um, <laughs> I like horses that have little polka dots on them. The, those are good horses. Wait, um, what? They have like, <laughs> like when they have little dots. They, they like when they have spackle, like spackle designs on them. I like when they have little how, cream how, stripes down their nose. How common is that? I don't know, but I feel like you see some. It's like calico cats, but with horses. There's many different coats, um, but you know we say that, and then like a good old brown horse. They're they're a good great old too, you brown know. Horse. Okay, okay. So so hold on. So so the scenario here is you're at the horse track and you see the lineup, and these horses are all indistinguishable from one another except the one that has like a couple of polka dots on it. That's the one you're betting on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. At least then I know where my horse is in the race. Because also, if you lose the horse, I'd be very stressed. Like, wait, where'd my horse go? These all look the same. Which one was mine? I don't know. The jockeys look the same. I, I think it's very hard to pay attention at the horse races. And like, yeah, it just seems like a really hard sport. <laughs> have either of you ever been to a horse track? Um, I don't think so. I I've been not. around horses. I had an opportunity to go, but I did not. Have you been? Yes, I, I've bet on the ponies before. Oh yeah, how'd you how how'd you do? I don't know. I lost like three or four bucks. <laughs> oh, okay, I thought you were gonna say like three or four hundred dollars. I lost I was everything. Like, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> no, it's a really like low barrier uh, to entry to to bet on the horses. And what did you wear? I was I was ill prepared. Um, <laughs> this and this was like this was like outside of San Francisco. It was like it wasn't Kentucky. Like we were all just you know wearing patagonia vests wow it feels like you would be wildly underdressed don't you need a fun hat isn't that a prerequisite to go to the horse track there were some people wearing fun hats i was not among them that was yeah wow the hat game was really strong in this episode and i wasn't usually paying attention to the hats but they they really provided (laughs) all right so uh as you can tell we're not experts in anything uh, but we're especially not experts <laughs> uh, in the crown, uh, in the royal family. So if you came here to get any sort of clarity on the factual, you know, what what is and what isn't, what isn't is not true uh, in in season three, episode five of the crown, you you came to the wrong place because we don't know. Did uh, Liz find out about a coup on the best and worst day of her entire life? Who's to say? But we're just going to go with what we saw in the episode and assume that everything is 100% factually correct. And with that, Ivan, could you please give us a quick recap of episode 305, Coup? All right, here we go. So the year is 2022 and the UK is going to shit. But in 1967, it was also (laughs) going to shit. The economy was in the tanker. The government was on the brink of devaluing the pound, which, you know, I still can't really fully wrap my head around like how 
exactly that's a bad thing, but it's a very bad thing. Um, and yeah, the Labour government and you know Prime Minister uh, Wilson—they're uh, just about as unpopular as it can get at the moment. Um, so uh, a cabal of uh, kind of high society gentlemen, including a, a newspaper uh, owner uh, slash publisher editor—I don't—I don't know what his position was—and then a you know bunch of other. Um, gentlemen are getting together to try to find a way to save the country. And uh, meantime, as part of uh, cost-cutting measures, um, uh, Harold Wilson has essentially fired uh, Dickey, Lord Mountbatten, from his uh, position of kind of being head of uh, the UK's uh, military and and defensive uh, forces. Uh, And these gentlemen that want to see Harold Wilson ousted uh, actually think that Dickey would be a, a wonderful new leader for this, um, uh, you know, kind of usurper government that they want to install. Uh, so they approach him with the proposition of essentially heading up a coup, uh, which initially he is very taken aback by because uh, he finds that to be treasonous. Uh, but uh, the gentlemen continue to make a compelling case for why the situation is dire and why different leadership is needed. And eventually he starts to warm up to the idea um, and starts to do some research about how this can be accomplished and quickly finds it would be very difficult to pull off unless unless they got the support of one Queen Elizabeth, who actually does have some constitutional powers to enact such an overthrow uh, in a you know fairly legal uh, way. Uh, But where is Elizabeth this whole episode? Well, the answer, doing nothing of any importance, because she is, in fact, preoccupied uh, by her horses, who have not been doing well at the racetrack lately. Um, And so she goes on a extremely highly funded research mission to find out how she can breed better horses and how her royal horses can compete better at the track. So first, she goes to France, learns a little bit about how they're doing it there. They tell her, oh, well, actually, the real good stuff's happening in America. That's where you you, you need to go next. And so she, uh, accompanied by Porchy, who is with her this whole time, uh, head over to Kentucky to learn a little bit more about, um, you know, how, how horses are raised there. And that's when Elizabeth kind of has this uh, epiphany that, you know, like, I wish I had never become the queen. I wish I could just spend all my free time focusing on the horses. This is what I love to do. This is what I was meant to do uh, because of the abdication. My life was altered for the worse and and now i don't get to do what i truly love and uh, just as she is starting to kind of uh sink into this fantasy of you know what it would be like to have this different life suddenly she is thrust back into her duties when a uh phone call uh arrives from prime minister wilson who has started to suspect uh the mounting coup that that is uh potentially going to threaten the government uh and he pleads to elizabeth uh to step in and intervene so she invites Dickie over uh, to Buckingham Palace, uh, and he is actually already uh, wanting to speak with her so he can propose this idea of the government overthrow to her. Uh, but before he can even start making his case, she immediately jumps in and was like, dude, what are you doing? You're talking to these guys that want to overthrow the government. That's not who we are. That's not what we're all about. Uh, this is not you know, how you can make uh, use of yourself right now. You're a member of the royal family. You have other ways of, of contributing. In fact, uh, you know, your sister or, or like a sister-in-law, she's here in Buckingham Palace right now. Have you even seen her? Have you gone and talked to her? He's like, uh, no, I guess I haven't. And so he goes and uh, <laughs> talks to her. Uh, they, they reminisce about old times and reflect on how old they're getting. And that's the episode. Thanks, Ivan. So big episode for Game of Thrones alumni here in season three, episode five. We saw Charles Dance show up as the older Dickie, uh, Lord Mountbatten. Um, we saw Rupert Vansittart, who uh, played Cecil King. He played, uh, it looks like he played Jan Royce. And we also- Who? Uh, <laughs> I believe. Wait, like, what are you, what are you I was, talking about? Like, well, when you started to talk about like multiple Game of Thrones well, alum, I'm like, where are you going well, with this? Wait, and wait, it wait. turns out you're going to obscurity. Wait, 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 wait. I have one more. I have one more less obscure. We have uh, the other Cecil, played by Julian Glover, was Grandmaster Pycelle. Wait, wait, wait. Which one's Cecil? They're both Cecil. <laughs> no, 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 no. There were two were they Cecils. Cool people? <laughs> wait, explain. 
So there were two Cecils, uh, which is more Cecils than I've ever met in my entire life. There was uh, one Cecil who was Cecil King, who was like the, who ran the Daily Mirror. Um, right. That okay. was the guy who played Jan Royce, who I think was one of like yeah. the Winterfell kind of like group. Oh, was he on the wall? No, I don't know. No, no. Well, okay. well uh, Winterfell and their wall are not the same thing. I, okay, no, we I can't know, turn this into he... a Game of Thrones podcast right now. The other Cecil, the other Cecil was the Cecil that we've heard mentioned several times. It's the old horse person who uh, I think at one point, Porchy and Elizabeth are joking that he's like 150. He's the old horse guy who takes care of all Elizabeth's horses. Oh, okay. I do remember um, Pycelle. And he, and he was, he was, Grant, he, he was Pycelle? He was, yes. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, I'm glad he's being made fun of for being old on every single show he's <laughs> on. That is just one, I mean, at least he wasn't uh, self-deprecating about being old. So we got another Alice yeah. uh, appearance here. But yeah, I think. That's true. Ivan, was it you who was saying like where's Dickie in all of this in in the last episode that we we capped? Uh yes, and and <laughs> you know, my <laughs> my inquiries were answered. Uh although I will say like you know, in in the transitions between season 2 and 3 and kind of the the refresher of the cast and and you know, kind of them moving into advanced ages, I don't think there has been anywhere near uh, uh, as abrupt of a character of a transformation in characterization than there was with Dickie. Like when, when we last saw him, like the season one slash two version of Dickie, he was just this very like dapper middle-aged gentleman who like dressed well and had like this kind of charm about him. And he was really good to uh, Charles. And then, you know, we see this very, um, kind of stern and and sort of temperamental older man played by Charles Dance who like I don't think I even realized that this was Dickie's job up until this episode like I didn't know he actually had responsibilities like I didn't know he led the military I thought he was just like in his castle hosting dinner parties see this is the problem that season one and two didn't tell us this we had yeah. to figure it out in season three it, like honestly, like season one, episode three should have just been a, like a thorough introduction to the Mountbatten family tree. Because like more more than any other element of the show, they just kind of assume that like we know what's up with that family. And like you know, last week it was very clear we didn't because we didn't know anything about Alice. Like I still don't know is she Danish? Is she Greek? What's going on there? And, and then same with Dicky. Like apparently he had this like very very high profile job that i don't think the show has made any reference to up until now well pad does not he no longer has it because he no longer <laughs> has it yeah he's but, fired but he had it this whole time it was like he was essentially what like the equivalent of like the secretary of defense like yeah, yeah it would have so. been nice if they had mentioned that at some point yeah i guess they think people aren't here for the secretary of defense not until it's relevant. Not until he tries to overthrow the government. Then it's relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this is a metaphor for how he felt the whole time. <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's like next next week. Like there's going to be a storyline where like Martin has to give up his part time job as a tuba instructor. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I would watch that. I mean, maybe I I would watch that too. To be honest. Yeah. I'm still waiting for the episode where it's like. Charles and Anne doing debaucherous things in college, but whatever. <laughs> Maybe I'll never get that. That one seems like a harder sell for sure. Um, you have to go to a Royal Night Out part two for that. <laughs> <laughs> Please, where's my sequel? Well, I mean, don't di didn't you say that the, the Royal Night Out director has directed a bunch of episodes of The Crown? Yes, Julian Gerald, I believe, yeah. It seems, seems like it would be right up their alley. Yeah, it yeah, does. So it should happen. But I do agree, Ivan, that uh, this Dickie is very different than the Dickie that we got in the prior seasons of The Crown. But that being said, I did enjoy this version of Dickie. This, I mean, it was basically just Charles Dance doing Charles Dance things. But I'll never yeah. get tired of watching Charles Dance just make Harold Wilson's neck just disappear. <laughs> <laughs> That's really true. <laughs> so he is like a... I don't know. He's like a, a victim of politics here, I think. It seems like similar to, well, not the same, obviously, but like similar to how they, um, you know, looked at Winston as like a wartime leader. 
I think that uh, it seems like Dickie has kind of like earned his place among the people as like, this is a man who should be respected. And Wilson did a big no-no in kind of like, you know, kicking him to the curb. Wilson is the prime minister for the punks. Okay. And not even, I'm sure they hate him too. But like, <laughs> there's someone out there who hates Dickie. Wilson knew. <laughs> Wilson knew. What did the people really think? We don't know. I know, Carlin. Old people, I feel, they liked it, but... I feel like of all the prime ministers that we've seen so far, and we've seen a lot, and we've seen some bad ones, Wilson is just... He feels like he is just struggling the most at this job somehow. He is, but I still love him the most, and I don't think this is his fault. I think he just like came in at a really bad time, and he just didn't happen to have the skill set to deal with it. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't blame him. Well, we're spending a lot of time with Wilson this season, and and he is like, he's set up to be a very central character this season, and he's getting a much more like sympathetic uh, uh, characterization than any of like the the post um, Winston prime ministers did. Like like the show never really tried to get us to really care for Anthony Eden or or Macmillan or any of those guys. Like. I mean, what is it about Harold Wilson that that made the the writers of the show suddenly decide like, oh, this is the one that we want the audiences to care about? I, I'm not going to say that Peter Morgan is anti-Tory, <laughs> but I think that is a real possibility. <laughs> yeah, but like, uh, you know, then he like might not have necessarily even wanted like us to spend as much time with Winston as he did because he he was a Tory and like well, yes. he, people he like got a very Winston. Winston He's is like, different. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's a little different, isn't he? A little bit. I don't know. I think it is probably a combination of like un like secret biases within the politics. And then I don't know. He's just kind of, he doesn't seem to want to cause drama. And it kind of felt like the other prime ministers were very um like open about how little they cared about certain like populations and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know. I might just be projecting. I just like Wilson. I think the actor is very like charming in a very awkward rat sort of way. Yeah, I think more so than other governments, what I notice about Wilson is that he seems much more kind of like susceptible to his cabinet's ideas than the prime ministers Mm -hmm. that we've seen before him. Like, it seems like whenever there's a crisis, his cabinet is always like, you should do this or you suck. And then he does it. (laughs) Well, you might recall I had some choice words about that last week. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You did. And then the cabinet came back. Yeah. Better than ever. And... The cabinet doesn't always have great ideas. He should stop listening to them. <laughs> it's a bad cabinet, man. It's a really bad cabinet. Um, they're the ones who are like, you should fire Lord Mountbatten. He is a, a pompous, bloody arse. Uh, he's, he's refusing to make the defense cuts we need. Okay, so here's the other thing. We learn at the beginning of the episode that the trade gap is 107 million pounds. I've, they Didn't they just get a bailout from the United States? How is it already back up to 107 million has time passed? I feel like they also don't tell us when time has passed. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, the LBJ stuff probably would have been more like 64, 65, and, and here we are now in 67. So uh, they, they've spent all that money. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right. Well, there is a definitely a problem then <laughs> if they can rack it up all the way back up to 107 million over, was that, three, two or three years? Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of blood pudding. <laughs> oh my god. It is. And you know, even the the pro labor newspapers like the Daily Mirror are red sharpie. Enough is enough. <laughs> yeah. So how ha- ha- okay, like so the guy who uh, Cecil, the the head of the newspaper, like how does he go from like being the, you know, editor or publisher or whatever he is of the pro labor newspaper to all of a sudden just like an outright indictment uh sorry uh outright indictment uh of the leader of the party just being like nope we're done like off with their heads they must go like sh- shouldn't there have been like a bit more of a, a gradual transition toward that like he he went from being pro-labor to wanting to literally overthrow the government it's all about class you know they just they stick with the other rich people all rich labor people can switch on a dime yeah it definitely seems like there's there's two different types of labor people there's like the new labor who are very radical for the time and then there's the old labor who are a bit more moderate and i think cecil Uh, for sure falls into that latter category all right so dickie is fired 
by Wilson in one of the most hilarious firings I've seen recently. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then Dickie gets a cake that says farewell. Do we think Wilson, get, who gave him this cake? Imagine if it was Wilson. I really hope it was Wilson. Cause did you notice how it was like spelled as two words? It was like fair. <laughs> and then like no space, capital W E L L. What kind of a cake is that? Yeah, who? I don't know. It feels like that would be a crazy slap in the face if Wilson just gets Dickie a farewell cake as he's fired. Incredible. It either has to be Wilson or has to be like one of those like young men that were singing to him was just like, oh, I'm just going to I'm going to go down to the bakery and I'm going to get a cake. And I don't know how to spell farewell. but <laughs> Like imagine if like as he was walking out the door, someone handed him a Starbucks gift card. <laughs> Please. Oh, my God. And then we see Dickie go home and take a bath with his dog. Like, what? <laughs> I do respect how much this man loves labs. I feel like the royal family, they all, like, imprinted upon a dog. <laughs> like, Elizabeth loves the corgis. He loves his labs. I feel like there's a third dog they the always pugs. have around. The, the pugs. pugs. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they all just, they really love purebred dogs. <laughs> Although I feel like Charles would be a cat person. So the other half of this episode is all about horses and Porchy, who, when was the last time we saw Porchy? Was that season two or? I think, I think he showed up briefly in season two, if I recall correctly. Wait, was the Porchy episode season one? Yeah, yeah. The Porchy episode yeah. was season one, but he definitely like had at least like a minor cameo in season two, I want to say. Um, I will say, Port, so all new actors, but Porchy's aging pretty well, all things considered. Like he's supposed to be the same age as the queen. Wait, is it, was it a different actor? It was different a different actor. actor, and I want to say this one looked kind of younger. I, that's what I mean. Okay, I yeah. was gonna say I thought it was the exact same actor. <laughs> no, he's just aging very well. Uh, good for Porchy. Good for Porchy. Yeah. So Porchy still doing everything that he was doing before. Although Liz offers him a promotion at the end of the episode, she's like, "You're gonna be my horse guy," and I was like, "Wasn't he already?" <laughs> I, I think he was her horse consultant before. He was just a consultant. Now, now, now he's now the, he's horse the director of Stallion Affairs. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my god! You, you know, I, I feel a little uh, cheated here because I feel like last time we had that porchy centric episode back in season one, uh, a, a big part of it was all about you know, like they kept using that uh, term, like him still holding a torch for Elizabeth and, and the strain that that was putting on his relationship, like. I wanted that to be revisited. Like, how how's that marriage doing? What's going on there? Oh, I agree. I want, yeah. Is he still married? Like, what's up with Porgy? Does we, he have We don't kids? know. They give us nothing. They gave us, well, nope. here's what, they gave us the small bit of, like, resentment from Philip at the end. He was like, so you went oh, on a yeah. trip with Porgy. <laughs> yeah. Now Philip gets to be jealous. Yeah. Well, I guess he already was before, but he gets to be jealous again. But I agree. We don't know that much about Porgy. We are here only to learn about horses and how Britain is just trailing behind the rest of the world as they are with everything else. <laughs> the horse uh, technology uh, is bad and that's why they're losing the race. What does that mean? What is horse technology? <laughs> <laughs> I did not understand. Well, the, it's, the, it's the grass they're eating, the chemicals that are in the grass. It's the amount of, it's the timing of ripping them away from their parents. It's all of it. <laughs> Can you imagine if you go to like vet school and then they're like, so you're going to make like the most perfect horses ever and we're going to use them for capitalism in like a really, really pompous way. I, I would feel sad as a vet. I wonder if they have Fitbit for horses. Like and now not, they probably do. Not, yeah. Not, yeah, not yeah. in 67, but today that's got to be a thing, right? Yeah. That that horse technology, I'm sure it has evolved. Yeah, they put a whoop on all of them. I don't know. Horses are so weird. Like if they like step on something wrong, they can just die. <laughs> yes. Um. Okay. So the horse that kind of uh is the best they have is number nine, Apprentice. Apprentice is the best horse. Uh, you would think that once Apprentice became the best horse, they would have renamed Apprentice Master, but. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, Apprentice is still Apprentice, but Apprentice loses the race, and this is it. Apprentice like starts in the back, climbs all the way up to second, and then just fails, <laughs> just slows down and loses. And this is yeah. this is it. What are we doing wrong, Porchy? 
what is what are what is happening <laughs> i just i can't imagine number one stress of racing and then having to be sad that your animal like you like the animal disappointed you and you disappointed the animal i feel like there's a lot of emotions. What I want to know is that is this all coming out of the taxpayer money? Yes, like one hundred percent. I know this is one. This is one episode after we learned that Margaret's trip to the United States cost what, like thirty, forty thousand pounds. And they were <laughs> like, see, like it, "Don't do that." It makes no sense to me because Philip, you know, he was lamenting about how they had to sell their yacht, um, but you know, a yacht is something that you know they can use it has like practical purpose whereas this is all just for for just bragging rights like and and like and and it's not like a you know one and done thing like there's no tangible value to all of this it's just a money pit they have to keep pouring cash into this operation to continue raising these horses and breeding them and training them and to what end i think you can make money on the pets but yeah with breeding yes with breeding oh. right are they allowed to? Oh wait, I guess I guess they are. I guess they like. Yeah, I they thought they talked about like, that in the last selling stuff episode. and this royal family stuff is so weird. <laughs> yeah, no, it it really is. Yeah, um, so Porti is like, hey, you know who's doing it great? The French. Let's go to France and learn how the French take care of their horses. And so Liz is like, sure, my mom will deputize, not Margaret, my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I like how we didn't have like a smash cut to Margaret just being angry about this. I know was Margaret like, in this episode at all? No. no. And, and up until up until that last scene, Philip wasn't either. Like this episode yeah. felt very void of any actual royal family members other than Elizabeth and Dickie. Yeah, Alice. We got a, a yeah, Alice second and straight Alice. Elizabeth, Alice, and Dickie. That was it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I cannot believe we didn't get a Margaret. <laughs> no Margaret. Honestly, with the way things have been going, like she could have even deputized Philip. Why doesn't Philip do more? Wait, why? I want to know what goes into her head about why she picks Elizabeth. Philip has been pretty level-headed lately. Like I feel like he he would have done a good job. Whereas like the Queen Mother, I don't know. Like I, that's a, that's another thing. I feel like the characterization of 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 this Queen Mother compared to the one in seasons one and two just feels very different. She went from, you know, like this very like, you know, regal, re refined and powerful woman to just kind of like, you know, somebody's, you know, Midwestern mother. This is so true. Yeah, this queen mother doesn't get any of the fun like one-liners that the old queen, well, the original queen mother got. Yeah, and she's also not like sad about anything anymore. Like you're telling me she just like is now at peace with her life. She's taking a lesson from the Alice playbook. Just get out of the way. <laughs> Well, she what is she seventy by now? Is she like has she reached the spectator age? Mm, must be, be getting close. there, right? Yeah. yeah, I have no idea. How old is anyone? They never tell us, and 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 like, and the fact that there was no major time jump between seasons two and three doesn't help either. No. So they go to France, and Liz is like, "Oh my god, this is great!" And then it's like, "Oh well, if you think this is great, go to Kentucky. Kentucky is where it's at." <laughs> <laughs> I just can't imagine the queen in any state that isn't like, you know, DC, New York, maybe like LA or San Francisco. Like <laughs> this is this is where I disagree with you, Carlin, because I feel like I feel like if she were to go to any place that has any kind of like intellectual epicenter, like the people there would be like, mm. who, who are you? Like, I mean, what are you? You you you're a queen. Get out of here. We don't do queens here. <laughs> This, I mean, I think that's actually true for all of America, but you're right. She would like the country better. This, this is actually very correct. I stand corrected. Yeah. Different royal family members I might be correct about, but uh, not now. Mm. Yeah. And all the horse technology in Kentucky has Liz feeling like she's 100 years in the future, 2067. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Just oh, all the man. horse technology in the grass. <laughs> I feel like we need to check in on the horse technology then. <laughs> I really hope they're still making this show in 2067. Oh my god, please. Except then there will be like actual like nanotechnology in the grass that the horses are like ingesting. <laughs> At that point, why even have a horse? Just just build a robot horse. K k little little <laughs> Prince George or King George or whatever he is by then, like he'll just be <laughs> crusading on a robotic stallion. 
Oh my god. Please. So yeah, while while Liz is derping around looking at horses, uh shit's going down in the UK. So Wilson officially devalues the pound. And you know what? He doesn't want to assign blame, but the previous government did it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. That's like his go-to response. It's like, well, now is not the time to assign blame. But <laughs> I mean, in his defense, he did say that they would probably have to devalue the pound as soon as he got into office. So, like, he might be right, but it sounds bad. Uh, we get the full rundown of what that means, uh, which was a lot. Do we think this is, like, verbatim from, like, a real a real speech? Yeah. And that's why I they did it this so. way? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not like we had to listen to it for that long. And once it goes into the background, you're like, okay, yeah, this was probably real. And this is what uh, leads to Cecil pitching the coup to Dickie. And so he finds Dickie at some sort of like military convention where Dickie is saying a poem that everybody knows that I've never heard before. And he's like, hey, come to lunch at the bank. Uh, it's not a restaurant, but we've got lunch set up uh, in this big room and we'll, we'll, we'll pitch to you our idea for the future of this country. And, you know, Dickie, Credit to him. At first, he's like, I can't even be listening to this. So he is, at first, giving the right response. But he very quickly turns to, all right, let me do some research. So what I was really hoping to see happen in this episode is for Dickie to just kind of be, like, strung along on this plan for the coup and eventually kind of, like, seemingly get roped into it. And then, like, him, for him at the end to suddenly pull the rug out and say, like, not today, you bastards. Like, I'm not going to be involved with a coup and I'm reporting all of you and, and you're all going to prison. That that That's how I was hoping, like, this episode would end with, like, this sudden heel face turn. Well, well, turns out that Dickie would never actually do something like this. He's too patriotic. He He's too, uh, you know, protective of the institutions of the country. And here he is, you know, like stabbing these treasonous bastards in the back like that that's where i was hoping it would go but it didn't sadly no dicky is like he's intrigued he he's lost his sense of purpose all he has now is his dog and his cake and so he's gonna go home read some books look through the documents uh meanwhile there's no stock market today no trading and uh he's doing some research on some old coups and dicky ends up calling everybody back to his house and giving everybody a lesson on coups. And all coups have five things in common. This is all it takes to, to have a successful coup. So you need control of the media, control of the economy, uh, capture of administrative targets, loyalty of the military, and legitimacy. That's it. Just those five things and your coup will succeed. And, and like, okay, did they even have one? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. They have control no. of one piece of media. The Daily Mirror. They have control of one <laughs> newspaper. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that would be like, all right, guys, we're, we're getting ready to uh, overtake, uh, you know, the, the United States of America. Um, uh, yeah, we have control of, uh, you know, the, the Lansing Sentinel. I'm not saying that might have happened once, <laughs> but yeah. Wow. Yeah, but there is a... I'm trying to think what the what the equivalent is. It's like the when you're playing shoots and ladders and you land on the space with the ladder. You can bypass all of these five steps if you can get to the queen directly. The queen will will get you to the finish line if you don't have all of these five things. I've never played that game. You never played shoots and yeah, ladders? Yeah, that is it's like Candyland where if you get the um one of the little cards that has the characters on it you can like go to like the very top of the board and like have like five candies left yeah. to get to the end uh, i've never played Candyland. what okay well i'm not playing any of these games <laughs> carlin gets what i'm saying <laughs> yeah yeah i get what you're saying uh, well i mean what is the equivalent then is there a game that you can think of where uh you know you're playing the game but there's another game and you okay here's the thing it's kind of like quidditch you're playing this game you're trying to score all these points but someone can just catch the snitch and win the game, and that's it. A different game that's happening entirely. Quidditch is like the worst device game in any like <laughs> literary fiction. It, it's like it really is. Everything that happens kind of <laughs> matters up until a point where it doesn't. Yeah, and so here's the thing: he is the queen's second cousin. He is in an ideal position to ask for this. Does anyone else not just freak out every single time he's like, I'm the queen's like cousin in any way? And you're just like, Philip and Elizabeth are married. 
You, Why are you pointing this out? <laughs> you, you know what else is funny? Like, you know, it, we're, we're now uh, two and a half seasons into this show, and at least half of the episodes that we have seen have consisted of a close member of the royal family, usually like Philip or Margaret coming to Elizabeth, asking her for something, and Elizabeth saying no. Like, what makes Dickie think that he's going to be the one that's going to, like, curry favor with her? And, and like, and, and what he's asking for is probably, like, the most egregious thing of any of the requests that have previously been made. Like, like they, they have asked her for just, like, these tiny little modifications to the rules here and there to, to break away from customs and norms. And he's just like, hey, let's overthrow the government. <laughs> Yeah, no, he um he was really on something this episode. Yeah. Um all right, so unfortunately for him, the queen is not in London. She's in Kentucky. So he tries to call her and Liz sends him straight to voicemail. She is busy, you know, enjoying <laughs> with important stuff. <laughs> with important horse things, when <laughs> learning about horse technology. But Dickie won't stop calling. So Liz finally answers the phone, but it's not Dickie. Uh, plot twist. It's Harold Wilson who's heard about the coup. How do we think he heard about this planned coup against him? Hold on. Before we answer that, like, did Harold call, you know, th that phone and, you know, Martin or whoever it was answers says, hello, who's this? And Wilson just like disguises his voice and he's like, oh, this is Dickie. <laughs> Can I speak to Elizabeth? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, one second. Like, like, how did that happen? No, I think I think he he called as himself. I think it was Liz just assuming that it was still Dickie calling. But I assume yeah. that if you're the prime minister, you get a more direct line to the queen than Dickie. But th didn't 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 like Martin essentially like escort Elizabeth to that phone? Like, wouldn't he have known who was calling at that point? I don't know how. Do they still screen all the calls? Like, is there a middle well, that, person in Buckingham Palace thinking. who has to connect them? It, there's got to be. Like, there's no way the Queen of England is getting on the phone without the call having been thoroughly screened. Somebody dropped the ball there. Or Harold Wilson disguised his voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why can't we Google these things? No, we'll never know. And so Wilson is like, there's a coup being planned against me. And let me remind you, if you oust me, I will rain hellfire on you. Yeah, like what what did he mean by that exactly? I I don't know. He gets so aggressive. If she, like it, it sounded like like we've we've been led to believe by Dickie that like the queen has the power to get rid of the prime minister and like, you know, sort of uh, dismiss the parliament. Like, meanwhile, Wilson seems to be threatening to essentially do the opposite, to, to like, use the powers of parliament to, like, more or less just, like, strip the queen of any influence that she has. I mean, there's probably, like, a King George Third law about, like, if the queen seems like she's going completely insane, that they'll just have, like, a, you know, they'll just duke it out. Like, who's really the one that uh, needs to be outed here? The, the crown or the government. I didn't even think necessarily he was talking about like legal measures. I thought he was just talking about just like public opinion. Um, oh, and, like, I definitely thought sentiment. it was going to be a legal thing. Because Wilson knows how to use television as he's made known to us several oh, times. Oh, I mean, maybe he was just going to start a teleprogram just shit talking was, the queen. <laughs> he, he was just going to post some dank memes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Wow, I definitely thought he meant like in a very much a legal sense of like the maybe, swaying maybe. public opinion that's already yeah. like sort of against the queen yeah that's why i was confused about because like obviously like harold wilson's not popular but like yeah may maybe he this would have been his saving grace like maybe he would have been able to get the heat off of him and his uh cabinet by saying like hey look like there's a bunch of you know treasonous men trying to you know kind of completely uh you know just undermine our institutions and they've got the queen of england in on it too this goes all the way to the top you know what this kind of makes sense i feel like if we found out like if we had a king or queen and then we found out that they were trying to overthrow democracy we would be pretty mad <laughs> and that never that's when you get the guillotines out you know she was at risk philip has warned her about this for so long <laughs> can you imagine if Charles tries to overthrow the government one day. Oh, my God. 
It'll be he just needs to not do anything because I feel like everyone in the world is just waiting for an excuse to do something about Charles. I mean, to to Wilson's credit, it works. Liz is like, I hear you. I'm on it. <laughs> which which was great. Like that that was like a that was like an A plus Liz moment where she was just like, yeah. leave it with me. <laughs> like Yeah, you know, she's finally she's got that back she's got the backbone now. She's leave Saruman to, to me. <laughs> yeah. Very next scene. We see her dressing down Dickie as she's dressed down so many old men before him. She's just a professional now. I loved that after when Dickie does go to see his sister, she's like, You got a dressing down from the queen. Like she calls it out for what it is. Yeah. Just hilarious. Uh, oh but my yeah, God. no coup. Not today. But the fact that it could just end that quickly, like, <laughs> like Liz just kind of like reprimanded him and it just ended. I know, and we, we never got any closure on, like, Cecil King. Like, is Cecil King fired now? <laughs> like, I hope so. Jesus. Or not, because he didn't actually do anything. They just had a lunch. Treasonous lunch. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where that line... Where, where did he cross the line? Also, the fact that we never got, like, Philip's perspective on his uncle trying to overthrow the government. <laughs> that would have been prime film material. But yeah, I was surprised that we got more Alice here, so... Uh, Liz is like, go visit your sister, you jerk. And Dickie is like, fine. And so he goes to visit her and Alice, same Alice from the previous episode. She's just like, Hey, you're old. I'm old. When you get old, just don't do anything. Keep your head down. Yeah. Just let things go, man. (laughs) Okay. Look, if Alice was the way that all old people thought, I feel like we would all be in a better position. So you know what? Power to Alice. Yeah. Her, her main philosophy is. Who cares? <laughs> She's right. Who cares? Her main philosophy was basically like, after you turn 60, you're irrelevant. So sit down and shut up. <laughs> I believe it was 70, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. After that age, you're done. Um, and I think it's interesting. We see their different philosophies on like where they belong. Because Alice has fully embraced this like, I belong nowhere mentality. And Dickie is like, no, I'm I'm a British man. I'm I'm a British person, and I do everything for my country. Yeah. I, when did Dickie come to England? I mean, he's younger. How much younger is he than Alice? Do we know? No, probably, probably a few years. Didn't seem like it was much. And just to be clear, like Alice, Alice is his sister-in-law, right? Like she was married to Dickie's brother. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> like that's the relationship here, right? <laughs> Liz said sister. I don't know. Yeah, she said sister, sister. but because like in my mind, I'm thinking because like Dickie was the brother of Philip's dad, right? And this is Philip's mom. Was that established? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, right? But then like she's like, look at this picture of the four of us and only two of us are left. Like why would he be in a a picture with his siblings and then one in-law? I don't know. Well, no, because it would be... It would be like like Dickie and you know whoever his wife was, and then Dickie's brother, and then Alice, right? Sure. Where's this photo? Come on, the crown. Why didn't you show us? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Honestly, like I said, we don't know, and we never will. With, and we never with the will. Way that the, with the way that this show like treats the clarity around the Mountbatten family, like we're we're soon gonna find out that you know Philip has a twin brother who's just been hanging out in you know Vienna this whole time. Or in the palace, because quite frankly, it seems like there's just hidden rooms where relatives hang out. Indeed. There's a, there, there's probably like, you know, a, a room where so I'm trying to think of like an obscure character from season two on the spot right now. But, you know, like the or, or like that the journalist that interviewed Alice like last week, he's probably just mm-hmm. hanging out in the palace somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> he never left. <laughs> yeah. He got to stay. He's just now doing his interview with Anne. <laughs> I mean, Anne is an obscure character at this point. <laughs> you don't even where, need no, to. No, where, where are Edward and um, Andrew? <laughs> where are they? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we're ready for that. Yeah, we're not ready. Um, not ready for Edward? Edward doesn't seem to do much. Let's let's find Edward. That's just him. <laughs> yeah. Not Andrew. All right, so we close with Philip. We haven't had any Philip this episode, but Philip has to show up. He's like, I heard you made Porchy your racing manager, so he'll be around all the time. Good for you. <laughs> Oh my goodness. They need to go to some sort of counseling. Probably. <laughs> some sort of therapy. I wonder if they do. I mean, did, whatever. Um, no, probably not. And he seems so upset. But you know what? 
he can't stay mad at her. He goes back and he kisses her and uh, she'll be up in a minute. So they're doing fine. I mean, it sounded like he was not kept in the loop about anything, which is a little bit concerning. He was like, you said you were you were going to be gone for a week and you were gone for a month. I had no idea. <laughs> this is just her revenge when he used to like just disappear with Mike. She's just like, I'm making up for it now at oh age mid 40s or whatever she is. I don't know. Was this a necessary scene? Did we need Philip here? No. <laughs> I was wondering where he was, so we I said yes. Phil- we needed Philip in like scenes with Dicky, but like not yes. not like in relation to this plot. I would imagine Dicky would run this by Philip first. No, and Philip would put <laughs> him in his not. place. I don't he know. He just didn't want to risk that like Philip would be the one to dress him down because he just yeah. like, doesn't respect Philip at all. So or for Philip, yeah. yeah, for Philip to sound the alarm or you know tell elizabeth prematurely like yeah i get it this episode was nah, i don't know ready to put it behind us to that point it was the <laughs> second lowest rated episode uh of this was the lowest have we not seen the lowest we have yet? seen we have seen the lowest rated episode uh so far oh what was it uh it was season three episode one olding oh oh yeah people I mean, really didn't like olding that had, yeah, well that i mean was... lowest rated it had an 8.0 out of 10 stars oh Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this episode had an 8.1. Wow. Okay. Amazing. So it's not like a bad episode. It's just the, the least favorite. Okay. All right. Anything else we missed here in Coup, which involved probably the most underwhelming Coup I've seen in some time? Oh, I didn't know Elizabeth could speak French. That was like, wow, you have a skill. That was, that was nice. great. <laughs> That's it. Um, all right. Ivan, you pitched last week. Forgoing the Kinky Crown Award if there was nothing kinky in an episode. But I say there were definitely some kinky things in this episode. Probably and I right. would agree. <laughs> there were. All right. All right. I, I, I'm going to get mine out of the way because it, it's kind of a lame one, but no worse than some of the stuff that you two have nominated in the past. Um, and that is, um, I forget it, I forget if it was uh, in France or in Kentucky, but doesn't uh, Elizabeth meet someone named Mr. Head? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I missed that. I don't know where that was. It sounds like Kentucky. It sounds more like Kentucky. That doesn't sound like a French yeah. name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, my, my nomination is Mr. Head. All right. That's funny because, I mean, it sounds like Mr. Ed. It works on multiple mm-hmm. levels. I love it. Mr. Ed is a talking horse. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ivan, I saw you like it's an old show it's fine all right carlin uh what do you have from this episode um i feel like the classic dicky in the bath was so weird (laughs) and unnecessary so i'm nominating dicky in the bath and then we can go around again you do one okay i'll do one um let's see this happened in france i think elizabeth walks in to uh kind of like a room uh, at the horse place, and she's like, oh, these are your stud books? <laughs> <laughs> My other one, it was like this really weird specific moment where like, I'm pretty sure Elizabeth was talking to Wilson. He was saying something really important, and you just see her eyes like fall away to a picture of a horse, like a really large painting <laughs> of a horse. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's another nomination. <laughs> And it was framed like a schoolgirl crush, but like you're in this <laughs> class and you just start. <laughs> yeah, the the other one that I had, well, I mean, there's, I'll be up in a minute. And then Philip's like smile as he's walking away. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely overt yeah. sexual innuendo. <laughs> it was uh, not subtle at all. The last one I had was they say at one point, um, Coming up is the Queen Alexandra race, where stamina is of the essence. Oh. Uh, yeah, I think we should discontinue this award moving forward. <laughs> no. I mean, I think I'm going to go with Carlin's uh, the horse photo in the Wilson meeting. <laughs> Carlin, what's yours? Um, I don't want to call... Oh, let's see... I guess the horse photo. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I wanted you to go first so I wouldn't have to vote anyway. We're done. Okay. <laughs> there we go. All right. The horse photo. All right. And that was season three, episode five of The Crown Coup. So next week, 
we will be talking about The Crown Season 3, Episode 6, the title of which I don't know how to pronounce. (laughs) I don't know. Do either of you want to give it a shot? The the Welsh title? Yes. Um, I can't actually see it, so... Tiwi Sog Simru? Tiwi Sog Simru? Sure, we'll go with that. Amidst rising Welsh nationalism in the run-up to his investiture as Prince of Wales, Charles is sent to spend a semester there and learn the language. Wow, it feels like he's getting a lot more work than other people. Like, imagine just being given this title, Prince of Wales, and then being like, oh yeah, this comes with, like, actual work. I mean, as it should come with actual work. Like, has Philip ever even been to Edinburgh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they really are just like, Charles, you gotta work for this. Yeah, but like, Edward, as Duke of York, didn't have to go do any language learning to go to York. It's probably not much Wasn't going it, on in um, York. Wasn't it Bertie who was York? Oh, was Bertie? Wait. Oh, yeah, was Edward Tra- Windsor? Edward was Prince of Wales. Wait, Edward was Prince of Wales? It's like the highest ranking title, I think. Like if you're right, like, top right, yeah. dog. Prince of, Wales, Prince of Wales, Duke of York, yeah. All right. So we'll have a lot of fun, I'm sure, talking about that episode. All right. So, Ivan, if people want to connect with you about the crown, where can they do that? So there's a horse track outside of Berkeley, California. Um <laughs> You can find me there on some odd Saturday uh, betting 50 cents on every single horse in the race, and that way I can't lose. I think that also inherently means you can't win. <laughs> uh, potentially if like the horse with the lowest odds ends up winning. Okay. Mm-hmm. You'll recognize Ivan because he'll be in a Patagonia vest. <laughs> you'll, you'll recognize me because I will no longer be able to afford the, the $1 hot dogs. <laughs> All right, Carlin, if people want to connect with you on social, where can they do that? Um, Twitter, at Carlin Greenwald. Instagram, at Carlin underscore G-E-E. All right, you can find me on Twitter at Sir Sam Chung, but the best place to reach us if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about the podcast is on Twitter, at Crown Around Pod. Uh, and that's all we got for you today. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time. And God save the queen. God, God save, save the, the queen. queen.